Welcome to the Richie Flow Nutrition Podcast. My name is Cameron Borg. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Gabor Chumalier. Gabor is a molecular biologist and world-leading expert in the area of deuterium in biology. He has been working for over 30 years to research and publish his findings on the role of deuterium depletion in cancer. Gabor graduated as a biologist from the University of Szeged in 1982. He received a scholarship from the Hungarian Academy of Sciences while studying for his PhD and defended his thesis in molecular biology in 1988. In the wake of the Hungarian Nobel Prize winning scientist Albert St. Georgi, who said that the true cause of cancer should be looked for at the submolecular level, Gabor began his examining the biological importance of naturally occurring deuterium as a senior research fellow at the Hungarian Institute of Oncology in 1990. In 1993, Gabor established HYD LLC to carry out cancer research and drug development based on the proprietary procedure called deuterium depletion. He has two books, Defending Cancer, published in the year 2000, and Deuterium Depletion, A New Way in Curing Cancer and Preserving Health. Gabor is a holder of numerous international patents and author of over 40 scientific publications and is a highly sought-after speaker at international conferences. I feel very honoured to have had the chance to speak with Gabor as I feel like his discoveries and work lay the foundation for understanding a major driver of diseases including, but not limited to, cancer. For the sake of this conversation, I feel it necessary to quickly outline a little bit about what we'll be discussing so it's easier to follow on. So, all elements on the periodic table have different isotopes, slightly different configurations of the same atoms that have slightly different chemical characteristics. Hydrogen is the simplest atom, with one proton and one electron. But hydrogen also has another stable isotope called deuterium, with one proton, one electron, and one neutron. This is still a type of hydrogen, but it is double the atomic weight and interacts differently in chemical reactions. In our body, approximately one out of every 6,600 hydrogen atoms, also referred to as 150 ppm, parts per million, is a deuterium atom. Our cells are exquisitely tuned to this deuterium-hydrogen ratio, and they use this ratio as a foundational signal in cell division. If deuterium levels become elevated, changes occur in cell growth and massive shifts in genetic expression result. Gabor's work shows that lowering the deuterium level effectively inhibits the growth of cancer cells as their signal for growth is essentially impeded. By using deuterium-depleted water, called DDW in this conversation, we can lower the relative abundance of deuterium to hydrogen in the body. I hope that's enough to help you enter this conversation with ease. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode. So thank you so much for coming to speak with me. Um, You started this work a really long time ago, actually. I think you started doing studies um, in the early 90s. you know, when did you come to this idea that there was a submolecular regulatory system, something really foundational that was controlling the way that cells behaved, and uh, particularly in the way that they uh, they divide and and reproduce? The word submolecular first I hear when I was a teenager, and Albert Sanjurji, who is a Hungarian Nobel laureate, mentioned in his TV interview. So he he was a very clever guy and and he recognized that it's impossible that the life is, which is so complex and even that complexity is so harmonized 
each chemical reaction and cell cycle. And he supposed that maybe not the big protein should be able to manage that, but must be a small particle. And then he suggested that electron could be this, this small particle. So I, I kept it in my mind. And one day the idea came to my mind that maybe the positively charged hydrogen also can be that very small particle. And then I make a note and that that was in 1976, May 21st. And then I kept it in my mind that the hydrogen, and four years later, I was a student at the university on biology faculty, and the idea came to my mind, there is heavy hydrogen. And then I, so you cannot explain that, how sure can be the people in a given second that maybe this hydrogen deuterium ratio uh, should be responsible to organize the basic mechanism in, a, in the living organism. And after that, I had to wait uh, 10 years. I, I started and I continued my work on a DNA work. I couldn't find a job on a cancer field when I graduated. And then I was a scholarship holder at the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. Then I went to Germany. Then I went to United States. And when I came back, I quit my job and I started to find again a, a job on a cancer field. And that started in 1990. So it was 33 years ago, and we published our very first paper 30 years ago in, in 1993. Mm -hmm. And the title was, was that paper that the nature occurring deuterium is essential to keep the normal growth rate. Because in that paper, we published that the, the in vitro culture, the cells couldn't grow so fast when the, the media was prepared with deuterium depleted water. And, and in a mice study, 60% of the mice uh, were healthy at the end of the experiment, although they were transplanted with human breast cancer. So that was the very first paper we, we mentioned that how important can be the nature occurring deuterium in the living organism and in the cells. When, when you started to first think about the role potentially of, a, uh, of um, the positively charged um, hydrogen, the 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 proton, regulating um, these types of um, things happening in the cells. Was your first thought? Uh, did you start to think about cancer straight away? Was that the first sort of application yeah. you thought? Yeah, because because one of our neighbor died in cancer when I was a kid, and and it was very sad to see the process and how finally, of course, the. The oncology therapy wasn't, unfortunately, still not good enough to to cure head and neck cancer patients. So that initiated in my mind that that uh, that uh, sorry that uh, the cancer is something which is very serious, and I I hear my parents and the adults around me that that everybody is, was worried about the cancer. And and the reason I was listening Albert Sangergi, thinking about submolecular, because I believe that that should be the way to, to, to move forward and to solve that type of problems. And, we, and I was very happy because that, that molecular biology started just at the 70s. So I, 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 I was very young at that time. And then the first, very first book I read 
it was about the DNA and the genes. So it was how, how much we know today comparing with the knowledge what we possessed 40 years ago. It's, it's, it's amazing. Mm. So, so but the reason that I was thinking about to solve the cancer problem. So that was for sure. Yeah, that's fascinating. Great, uh, great reason to try and uh, and try and make some progress in that in that regard as well. Um, I guess it makes sense that um, deuterium and hydrogen have been around for a lot longer than uh, life on Earth. So it makes sense that when cells uh, first started to um, grow on the planet, that they had to have something that was uh, very a very solid foundation to use as their regulatory mechanism. And the deuterium hydrogen ratio is sort of this. Uh, more or less unchanging thing uh, that can be used uh, that can be exploited for for purposes like cell division. So it kind of makes sense that that ratio is so important. Um, so what what kind of ratio are you looking at um, in in natural environments? Like how much deuterium is there in 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 rainwater, in seawater, in and in, in ourselves? It's a good question. Yeah. So we we can. Consider we use the ppm parts per million. If we take one million hydrogen in a surface water is about 150 deuterium. So out of one million hydrogen, there is about 150 deuterium. But that can be different depending on where we live, where we live. So for example, in Australia, which is pretty close to the equatorial area, the B concentration should be about 155 because this is the deuterium concentration of the ocean. And as the clouds appear in the equatorial area and they are moving to the coast, the, the, the heavy water easier fall down from the clouds and the D level is decreasing. So the farther from the ocean, the higher the altitude, the lower the deconcentration of the surface water. In Europe, where we live in uh, East Middle Europe, we have about 148 de uh, ppm deuterium concentration. But when we go to the Norway, uh, it should be maybe lower than 140 ppm. So this is a range where, where the human population is, 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 is living. Go to the North Pole, it should be about 100, maybe 10, 120, 125 ppm. And the other, okay, this is a PPM, but mm -hmm. we explain it in, in millimole. And this is a key message that in, in our body, the deconcentration about 13 millimole. And if we compare it to the calcium, which is 2.5 millimole, the magnesium is about 1.5 millimole. That can be very interesting that nobody investigated the possible role of the ethereum, even its concentration is pretty relevant because the 13 millimole. And I, I guess the, reach, the the reason that nobody investigated that when they look at the the numbers, 6,600 to 1, uh, the ratio between hydrogen and deuterium. And I, I suppose that was the reason that people believe, let's ignore it. Uh, what can the life do with yeah. only uh, 6,600 to 1 ratio with the deuterium? And this is the reason, I guess, it wasn't investigated. Uh, maybe it has some role in the living organism. 
So approximately uh, one um, for every six thousand six hundred hydrogen atoms, there's one deuterium atom. So it kind of yeah. it kind of feels like you know how can that really play play any sort of role in cancer? Um, but perhaps we're finding ourselves in a position now um, through a variety of different means, dietary being one of them, that we're consuming and putting more deuterium in the body than probably evolutionarily we would have had. Um, is this one of the things that you think is contributing to increasing incidence of cancer throughout the world? Sure. Yes. So I, I think uh, during the evolution, uh, the bacteria doesn't count whether is there deuterium or not, because the bacteria is, is so simple, short DNA, couple of thousand genes. But as more and more cells uh, grows together and started to organize the life, after a, a reaching a complexity, it's required a new level of the regulation. And that, but the eukaryotic cells used out that there is a heavy hydrogen, and then they and they they, they finally used out that possibility. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about as a chemist, they cannot imagine why should be any role of deuterium if this is the ratio. But the life uh, for a very small changes or a very small quantity of the deuterium can give a very strong signal mm -hmm. because which is clear that given proteins, for example, can make difference between the hydrogen and deuterium. So can be a discrimination in, and there is a discrimination in the in the living organism, in the membrane transport, or for example, the ATPs do not accept, accept deuterium uh, as a substrate. And that way, that's very low concentration uh, can give a very strong signal for the cell what to do and what not to do. And this is the reason finally the life could develop mm -hmm. and that beautiful life appeared on the earth and then so complex living organisms can be on the earth. Mm. It seems like life takes deuterium pretty seriously. I've heard you um, speak about looking at different fats and fats seem to actively discriminate and put hydrogen and deuterium in specific parts on the carbon chain. Um, and it seems like they do that very, very purposefully um, I'm not sure if we know why they do that, but uh, nature does take it um, take this hydrogen deuterium problem very seriously. And um, obviously, uh, fats tend to have lower amounts of de uh, deuterium when compared to proteins, and proteins less than carbohydrates as well. So um, our shift towards maybe more carbohydrate food um, compared to our ancestors is also contributing to this increasing level. Is that is this correct? Yeah, yeah. And this is the question, uh, the answer for your question that mm. that that the human society had a different diet mm. uh, hundred years ago and thousand years ago, and the big change was uh, in the last 60, 70 years, and when it was said that the fat is bad, mm. don't eat fat because the high cholesterol, because the heart disease, and, and so on. And it means that, so the our uh, deconcentration depends on what is the D level of the water we drink, and what is the composition of the diet, because everybody every day synthesizes about 0 0.3, 0 0.4 liter metabolic water, 
and this metabolic water, the hydrogen coming from the carbon, uh, which can be carbohydrate, protein, and, and lipids. And depending on what is the diet composition, how you cover your calorie intake, that will determine the deconcentration of the water, what the mitochondria synthesize. And this is what you said, the carbohydrate will uh, generate 150 ppm water, which is normal. Uh, the protein may be 130, but from the fat, we will produce 180, hardly 118, 109 ppm metabolic water. And that means the mitochondria, depending on the ratio of the calorie intake, it should be about 120, 130, 140 ppm. Mm -hmm. And that will modify and reduce the deconcentration of, of the water what we drink. So even in Hungary, it's about 148. Right. If I have a ketogen type diet, my my deconcentration should be about 130 ppm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it's quite easy to forget that one of, if not the most important job of the mitochondria is to produce metabolic water. Um, and you know, yeah. you don't no one gets taught that in uh, at least in in my in my education. That was never something that was spoken about with the role of the mitochondria. Um you spoke briefly about the ketogenic style diet there. Clearly, there's a lot of interest and in, and in research going on uh, with uh, very low carbohydrate diets. Do you think that most of the benefits of a ketogenic diet are coming from this deuterium effect? I think so. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm. So I, I first they do not know why the ketogenic diet can be good to to treat cancer patients. Yeah. And that should be a connection between deuterium depletion and ketogenic diet and the efficacy against the cancer, mm -hmm. that it's finally a deuterium depletion when someone starts to consume uh, or eat deuterium uh, uh, fats mm -hmm. and, and reduce the calorie intake with carbohydrate increase with with, uh, with fats. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so when when you're looking at the cell and you're looking how cancer cells are dividing um, seemingly without any sort of regulation at all, what is what is lowering the deuterium content in the body doing to help prevent cancer cells from growing uh, uncontrollably? The first thing is is the diet, and but I first I, I never say cancer patients uh, have a very strict ketogenic diet because sometimes it's not sustainable for a long time. So I, I recommend just reduce the carbohydrate and increase the fat intake, and that way we reduce the, the deconcentration. But when we talk about cancer, we need much stronger reduction in the deconcentration to trigger the necrosis of the tumor cells. And everything which can help uh, and and have the so one day when we reduce the D level, that require this is the pressure all the on the healthy cells and the cancer cells, right. and the lowering the concentration, which is day by day reducing, uh, require the adaptation of the cells day by day. 
And in that race, the healthy cells can do it much better mm-hmm. and easier because they have a normal metabolism. But the cancer cells cannot do that, which leads to the radical, increase the radical concentration, and hopefully that reach the level which triggered the apoptosis. So we should balance uh, triggering the cancer cells to the increase of radicals, and we have to do it on a long term mm-hmm. because uh, regarding the cell cycle, not each uh, phase of the cell cycle sensitive for the deuterium depletion. Right. So those cancer cells, which we are going to uh, divide a month later, but if someone consuming DW, that cells already in a uh, resistant phase in a deuterium depleted mid, uh, environment. So, but we need to, to get the changes in the D level even a month later. Mm-hmm. So everything which help to reduce on a long term and reaching the threshold which is necessary to trigger the apoptosis is, is important. And that should be the food and the and the water. And we must combine. And on the other hand, the higher oxygen pressure should be good because that way we can increase the oxygen, the radicals, and that can help. And we have to work on, for example, do not combine deuterium depletion with antioxidant. I mean, vitamin C, E, A, uh, selenium, because that way we can help the cancer cells catching the radicals. We will not reach the threshold to trigger the apoptosis. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned that about oxygen. I hadn't heard you um, mention that um, before. Does that mean that you think that combining uh, the treatment protocols that you describe in the book uh, with hyperbaric oxygen um, would be a good idea to help the the oxidation and the necrosis of the tumor? I, I guess so, yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's, that's so, very interesting. We, we have... So we have followed uh, thousands of cancer patients and always try to figure out why these people respond very well and why the others not. Yeah. Uh, and and the most obvious was that taking too much antioxidant that diminished the efficacy of DW. And later, Professor Zubarev from the Karolinska Institute uh, published a, a paper proving that, how important the radicals uh, and 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 because the radicals is important, the oxygenation and the high pressure of oxygen can help us to uh, to get a better efficacy with DW. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to lay out my basic understanding of what's happening when uh, cells initiate uh, a, a dividing event. Um, so maybe they're influenced by a growth hormone that binds to the to the membrane. And this induces um, the action of a sodium proton pump in the in the cell membrane, where the cell wants to bring in sodium and export uh, protons. Um, and from my understanding, from what I've read in the book, this um, transporter is very very picky about whether it has deuterium or hydrogen. It really doesn't take deuterium at all. And by exporting, am I am I right so far? No, no, you are so good that okay. maybe you should continue it. You, you know it as, as, as good as me before. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it's clear that you are 
educators in, in that topic. Yeah. Yeah. So the the deuterium content in in the cell, the the ratio is increasing, uh, and that's that's essentially the signal for the cell to divide. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in the very first paper, this this is how we could explain uh, the data that we could stop cell growth in vitro and and uh, and save the life of the mice. Mm -hmm. That the the green light for the cell when the DH ratio reach a threshold. And that can be when a growth hormone binds to the membrane, and that will stimulate the sodium-hydrogen antiport, which means the cells pick up on sodium and transport on hydrogen, and that discriminates between the hydrogen and deuterium. So it means the activation of sodium-hydrogen transport system means the increase of the DH ratio. And independently from our research and before we published our data, that was proved that the sodium hydrogen transport is activated by the uh, growth hormone. And the other important paper was published in the Nature. Then when the ATPs gene was transported uh, into the human, into animal cell line from the yeast, and the ATP is generating the higher pH in the cell, that cells became tumorous, caused tumor in nude mice. And that was, they couldn't explain it. How is it possible when we are, we know hundreds of genes having role in the, in, in the development of cancer. And how is it possible that one ATPs gene uh, makes uh, tumorous uh, cell? So, and the reason is that the ATPs discriminate between hydrogen deuterium. So any hydrogen transport on the membrane uh, inside change the DH ratio. And when the DH ratio is increasing, that change the equilibrium in each molecules. So it, it will spread in the cell and, and changing the deuterium the hydrogen for deuterium in each molecules in, in carbohydrates, lipids, uh, uh, amino groups, carboxyl groups that can, for example, modify the structure of the protein, which because the hydrogen bond is very important in the DNA between in the RNA. So when the DH ratio is changing, that will modify the DH ratio in each organic molecules. And then they have to do everything according to the new DH ratio. And that is something like the nervous system in our body. The nervous system is, is everywhere. So they can collect the information, send it to the brain and going back. Yeah. And when we change the DH ratio, we are sending a message to the, all the molecules within the cell. And this is how the cell finally can organize and, and harmonize all the process. Yeah, that's that's a really fascinating thing that um, I don't think you have touched on uh, very much in the book, perhaps because it hasn't been studied very much. But as the DH ratio um, fluctuates, it stands to reason that all of the molecules that use hydrogen in the body, they are the bonds in those molecules are also changing along with it because so they may have to use deuterium, which has a much stronger bond, um, which is going to modulate the kinetics of the interactions of those molecules with enzymes and so forth. Um, 
does does that have farther reaching uh, implications for all types of disease? So we we started with cancer, mm -hmm. and then we had lots of data, and and we we saw uh, on the patients, and and one day a uh, a patient who had cancer came to me and said he, his his blood sugar level went down because mm -hmm. he was a diabetic, and then we. We run a, a rat study at the university. And that was very interesting that first in the rat study, so we made the rats diabetic. Mm -hmm. And in the very first experiment, we used 150 ppm and 25 ppm. And one group of the rats received insulin, the other didn't receive insulin. When no insulin, it doesn't count whether, what is the ppm of the water. But when the rats, uh, we we used insulin, then the 25 ppm reduced the blood sugar level of the diabetic rat. Right. So we were happy. And then we used other concentration, uh, 25, 75, 105, 125, and the normal water. And then the, the surprising results was that not the lowest deconcentration reduced the best way the blood sugar level of the red, but the 125 ppm, which is very close to the 150. Mm -hmm. And then we made another red study, and then we changed with 5 ppm, 125, 30, 35, and go back to the 150 ppm. And then it was clear that the best dose for the insulin to reduce the best way the blood sugar level between 125 and 140 ppm. And if we think about, finally, this is obvious, because to change the DH ratio requires lots of energy. And we suppose that the membrane transport can change plus minus with 20, 30 ppm that level. So to reduce 150 ppm, possible to 140, 130, or maybe 125. But I do not believe that they can reduce it or or change it with, with 50 or 100 ppm. So I think that that experiment that the best dose and the best deconcentration for the insulin to, to, to optimize the signal system is about 125, 130 ppm. Mm -hmm what we can reach changing the diet. And this is my grandfather deconcentration was about 130 ppm. So in the best deconcentration, which is good for the insulin. And and our population eating too much carbohydrate is about 140. In our human study, phase two clinical trial, when we checked the D level of the blood before the experiment study, it was 100. 46, 150 ppm. Right. So, so there was only four ppm differences between the 30 uh, enrolled uh, diabetic uh, patients. Mm -hmm. And after giving them the 105 ppm water, they consume it for 90 days. Uh, the range was 125 ppm and 140 ppm. Mm -hmm. And the fasting glucose went down and the insulin resistance. Uh, uh, disappeared in, in a thirty percent of these people. So our life is prepared to have a D level about 125, 130, 100, 
35 ppm, not at the 150 ppm. Mm. So it seems like we're we're sort of at this stage where we're starting to realize that essentially all modern diseases from cardiovascular disease to um, neurodegenerative disease at its core has mitochondrial dysfunction um, sort of driving driving the processes. So um, I guess, you know, we're looking at this, uh, this stage where everything is sort of a metabolic disease. Um, and I guess most of the research in cancer in maybe the last um, you know, the last few decades has been probably more focused on the genetic component. And what I love about this idea about the deuterium um, and the hydrogen ratio is that it sort of unifies both of these ideas together and and explain and makes them both right um, in in the same context. So can you just give a little bit of background about why both the genetic and the metabolic components of cancer are right? within the context of this deuterium story we're talking about? I guess the, the best example, if we talk about, for example, herceptin or gefinitib, the herceptin is a big breakthrough in, in treating breast cancer patients, but it doesn't mean that it is good to everybody. Mm. For only those people where the uh, epidermal growth factor receptor is 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 multiplied so this is there is a changes in the genome which results a much higher uh, concentration of the epidermal growth hormone receptor in the membrane it means when a growth hormone is coming they have much more receptor it means they can stimulate much easily and maybe more stronger the sodium hydrogen antiport, it means for these cells easier to reach the DH ratio, which is necessary to start uh, the cell division. Yeah. So when the herceptin is used, they cover uh, the receptors and that way they inhibit the activation of sodium hydrogen antiport and that way they inhibit to increase of the DH ratio. So all the genetic changes which can impact on the DH ratio, they are a good target drugs. And these are real effective. So we, we see extremely good uh, synergistic effect when someone got a gas, uh, breast cancer, drinking our water plus uh, 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 getting the Herceptin. It then extremely good response, mm -hmm. fast reduction of the tumor size uh, and, and no relapse. So that should be the way. Uh, the biggest problem is that all the signal system and lots of targeted gene, uh, this is regulated by the DH ratio. So when the cells made the decision because the DH ratio is higher, mm -hmm. then you cannot do anything with that and targeted one gene, which is uh, in that long signal system at the end of the signal system. Mm -hmm. From the, the, the end, you cannot go back and, and stop the cell growth. So, and, and it's very important, the integration of deuterium depletion to the, to the therapy. 
So we need to find which targeted that therapy uh, synergize and help uh, to, to intervene in the DH uh, signal system and which are what we have to remove because they has very strong side effect, toxic effect. Yeah. They maybe extend the life it extended two months mm. and but no any real breakthrough. So so really it's a big demand between genetic or metabolic disease. Mm. Both parties are right. Yeah. And, and none of them is right because the life is not organized by by only the genes and by only the metabolism. Both is necessary to to figure out yeah and then this is how it works yeah and and i guess you like you make the point in the book that the dh ratio is actively shifting genetic expression particularly when you lower the the dh ratio you're getting more beneficial genetic expression and it's also improving the the function of the mitochondria so you're getting um you're getting both the improved um metab- metabolic effects as well as the genetic working together um which uh, makes sense why you're getting such great results, um, particularly when combining the deuterium-depleted water therapy with conventional treatment. Um, it seems like both of them working together are yeah. really um, the best the best outcomes that you're getting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again for your question. Very easy and governing. Okay, so the, the point is that... Uh, we, we, we made an experiment, it's, it is a so-called nanostring technology when we can, we are able to count one by one how many copies are synthesized from a given gene. Mm-hmm. And we tested over 700 genes, more than 200 cancer-related genes and more than 500 kinase gene. And the kinase is, is a target of the drug development to finding one kinase, hopefully uh, uh, developing a an inhibitor, and that way we can hopefully get a good cancer drug. Yeah. But so when we have the cells on deuterium depleted media, normal media, and 300 ppm deuterium enriched media, and we investigated how the deconcentration modified the expression of these over 700 genes, the point was that 99.7% of the genes responded to the higher uh deconcentration so it means the cells checking and uh, and following the changes in dh ratio and when it is increasing that turn on hundreds of genes and so by it means by applying deuterium depleted water we are able to inhibit hundreds of kinase genes so we don't need to targeting one by one the maybe a thousand kinase genes and if we earlier we published the paper when we treated the mice with a carcinogen agent that within 24 hours increased the expression of these genes. But when we kept the mice on a deuterium depleted water, we inhibited the increase of the expression of these uh, genes having role in, in cancer growth. Mm. growth. So the, the, the key issue what you mentioned by changing the DH ratio either with food or by consuming deuterium depleted water, we can control the expression of the hundreds of genes. And the probability whether 
the cells can start the cell growth depends on whether temporary increase the DH ratio, turn on maybe thousands of gene expression, and then in the next uh, 18 hours, these express genes and proteins will manage it the whole cycle of the cell division. Yeah. This is how it works. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Um it seems like there's there's this sort of constant flux based on the foods and, and the water that we're consuming um, with the DH ratio in the body. Um, how is deuterium leaving the body? Um, if if there are a few selective mechanisms, you noted that the ATPase, the the uh, the FO head, uh, is very selective with uh, taking hydrogen rather than deuterium. Um, you know, there's uh, there's the sodium uh, proton pump uh, that is very selective as well. How how is deuterium leaving the cells and ultimately leaving the body? I I can only assume it's through the the normal you know urine feces and and sweat it's coming out. Um, have you looked into how it's coming out and and what what might be responsible for getting that deuterium out of the cell and and into the waste? The only the the chemical parts of this process, the the amino groups. Uh, uh, collecting the deuterium. So if we, and this is due to the isotopic effect, mm -hmm. the carboxyl will not group, will not keep uh, the deuterium, but the amino group is collecting. And when we, for example, check the, when we replace the water of the laying hands and we collected the, the X, and then from the X, we separate the, the, the white and the, York, yep. and we, we checked the D level of the York and and white. It was clear that in the protein, the D level was higher at, at the day zero, which means the, the amino groups are collecting the deuterium. So the discrimination and then the distribution between the, if I say carbohydrate, lipids, or, or proteins, the proteins has a higher DH ratio, uh, because the amino groups, right. and that way, the, the urea and the, and the nitrogen would be the way which chemically can can uh, remove and and bring out uh, the deuterium from the body. We, we never, uh, so we we followed the the D level of the urine and and the saliva mm -hmm. and the, the exhaled breath, and and it was clear that not the same. Yeah, so it, right. it it depends on what is the source of the of the body fluid. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you looked into sweat? Uh, is sweat selectively getting out more deuterium or? Uh, not yet, but I I read a paper who tested in the sauna whether yeah, that's what I was thinking. Patients consume this heavy water, and then what is the distribution? And it was proved that again. Not was the same and 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 so there is some some disbalance or something which which finally so we cannot say someone drink a, a glass of water or a half glass of heavy water everywhere will be the same the mm -hmm. D level so within the body and for example maybe the brain is which which uh, which can where the D concentration is increasing when someone drinking some heavy water so the the, the latest and the 
uh, organ is the brain where where the D level will increase. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of uh, research coming out of Finland with the benefits of frequent sauna use, and I thought maybe there's an effect with all of the you know all of the sweat that they're producing. Maybe there's more deuterium coming out in the sweat than than would normally be present in the body. Uh, maybe maybe the sweat selectively excretes deuterium, um, but yeah, uh, just the thought. Yeah, the, I, I guess the sauna is, is extremely good. Healthy, mm. the higher temperature, the metabolism is, is speeding up. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, one day we will check it out. Yeah, all right, that would be great. The, um, I wanted to jump back to something you were speaking about before how uh, closer to the equator, uh, the deuterium content is higher. And the further away from the equator you get, the surface water tends to be lower in deuterium. Um, Clearly, we have human populations um, at various latitudes. And I was wondering if you had found any possible mechanism that would help people survive and thrive living closer to the equator where they are consuming probably more carbohydrate as there's more carbohydrate available at the equator and drinking water that has more deuterium in it you know is there is are they is there something in their environment that's helping them to balance the dh ratio differently than someone living in you know northern norway where the deuterium their exposure to deuterium is much lower i guess that each population is adapted to the area where they live, mm. the, the food they eat and, and the water they drink. The big difference is today that we can eat banana, orange, which coming from uh, the area close to the equator area, it means that a higher deconcentration. Or we can move from Norway to to. Caribbean island or or whatever to the close to the equator area, which is a big shift in the yeah. in the deconcentration. Uh, and there are people who say that everybody should eat on the food which is uh, on, on the on the cover, uh, getting from the field around them yeah. and <laughs> drinking the same water. So th- that way we we again make a big uh, disturbance in the better in the metabolism and in the food and all they think uh, again it's a very important what type of food we we give to the animals what we are eating what we eat that way we can modify again the 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 deconcentration of the final product what what we what we eat uh, i don't believe that on a short term that can Cause problem. Uh, someone goes to the holiday to 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 Cyprus from Norway that we are not uh, uh, cause problem. But for example, in the Near East, uh, the the diabetes num- number is increasing. It's 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 tremendous amount of uh, diabetic uh, people live now. Uh, no movement, no physical activity. Uh, too much carbohydrate, and that way, I guess uh, that that should be one cause that uh, that the metabolic disease is is, is so obvious, and almost fifty percent of our population is getting diabetic. Yeah, 
Yeah. Do you think there's any uh, possible relationship between the intensity of UV uh, closer to the equator, perhaps playing a role in regulating deuterium dynamics in the body? I mean, there's more deuterium at the equator, there's more UV. Perhaps they they work together to balance uh, to balance out and make sure things stay in the right level. Yeah, that's uh, we just took part in a conference and Professor Pollack uh, showed the, his his interview and and he was very convincing with this easy uh, uh, water and and the the importance of the light for the body mm. for the skin and for the humans and what he mentioned that uh so i i was convinced with with his presentation that that so the water is not just moving moving mm. must be that structure the hexagonal structure and even after my presentation i was asked that for the easy water it's is very advantageous if no deuterium so no uh HDO out of within that because even one so when there is a very complex system this easy zone all the atoms moving harmonizing with each other but when I replace one hydrogen with deuterium that will disrupt uh, this whole structure because so different the vibrational frequency of the OD bond so I guess the light is important the UV is important, mm -hmm. and and that way, and I, I I suppose now that if there is a deuterium within the easy, easy zone, that will eliminate mm -hmm. those water molecules molecule which which has a deuterium because it doesn't fit into the into the system. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I I suppose that's why the mitochondria. Uh, is so selective uh, with making its metabolic water that it's that it excludes deuterium. Um, it seems as though um, that I guess. yeah, the, um, the mitochondria uh, are precisely where that easy uh, needs to be. Um, it's uh, cool that you bring uh, Jerry Pollock up without me asking. I was going to ask about him and uh, uh, whether you're going to uh, supply some water for him to use in some of his experiments. Yeah, that was my idea also to 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 see whether using DW this easy zone is wider, uh, build up much faster. Mm. Yeah, that should be an experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be fascinating to see. I think it would it would uh, help further his work as well, and um, and help us understand a little bit more about what's going on in the mitochondria. Um, so. Does I mean deuterium seems to be intimately um, connected to uh, cancer metabolism, but does elevated deuterium uh, levels in the body cause cancer, or are they, or is that just something that uh, helps make things worse uh, when exposed to a carcinogen? I I, I don't believe that the deuterium causes cancer. Mm. I think that the probability. How cells are able to lift up the DH ratio is different and depends on the deconcentration of the of the of the body. Mm. So if someone eat too much carbohydrate, eating 150 ppm uh, water, and for example, there is some genetic alteration, 
which, for example, increase the uh, receptor numbers on the on the cell surface. Yeah, that makes the cells easier. Or as the with aging, the mitochondria function is 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 getting lower and lower. So when the cells are getting uh, older, then the capacity of the mitochondria to producing uh, deuterium depleted metabolic water again slightly can increase the DH ratio, and at each, and this can help the cells from the higher D level, DH level, lift up to the uh, threshold level, yeah. the DH, which increase the probability that one of the cells real can trigger the, the cell division and enter to the S phase. Mm. So I guess that's that's why you're you're um in in the protocols it's quite important to continue um that deuterium depleted water even after um you know even after remission uh just to make sure that um none of those cells have the capacity to continue growing if if there are minute amounts left over in the body. Yeah, this is one reason. The other reason that when a tumor was operated and uh, everybody can be happy that, okay, it was removed perfectly. But when the tumor was diagnosed, the tumor uh, were growing for four or five years in the patients. And from the original uh, tumor, cells has removed and, and circulating in the body. And when the tumor is uh, removed by operation, patients receiving the chemotherapy, radiotherapy, just to be sure that uh, no tumor, but no one can guarantee. And, and we have to fight against those cells which are on the undetectable level. When someone making a cure in remission for uh, four months, then we shocking these small group of cells and hopefully kill them. But again, we are not sure we killed all of them. So we suggest after a four, six months break, start a new cure again. Yeah. And hopefully slowly after four or five years, we really can eliminate all the, all the potential uh, uh, cancer cells, which maybe cause again a new, new tumor. Mm. And the deuter the lower deuterium content that you're trying to achieve with this therapy, like you said before, is is a kind of stress on the cells that healthy cells seem to be able to handle better than uh, cancer cells, which is why uh, it's kind of like a selective treatment, which is sort of the holy grail in cancer. You want to be able to kill the bad cells while leaving the good ones alone. With that in mind, what 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 is the sort of standard treatment um, protocol that you go through? Um, to make sure that that stress stays continual rather than going, you know, directly to the lowest amount of deuterium depleted water, uh, which isn't, isn't a good idea at all. You want to gradually uh, lower the deuterium uh, content of yeah, the body. Yeah, right. yeah, thank you again for your good question. So, so for, a, for, a healthy, for a cancer patient's remission, we recommend to consume prevent the 105 105 ppm, 85 ppm, two months, 105, and then continue with 85. Mm -hmm. uh, that should be good enough to reduce the, the incidence or, or the chance to, to relapse. And repeat it for, for the next uh, four or five years. Uh, at the beginning, 
the break should be four months and later six months, then every year repeating that that uh, four months uh, treatment. Those who, who had a cancer and no uh, complete remission, they should go 105, 85, 60, 20, 45, 25. Uh, the reason we say that, uh, so, for example, someone immediately started 25, it means that after two months, they reach the equilibrium and will not be any changes in the deconcentration. Yeah. So all the cells which tolerated and survived the first two months, they are happy with the 25 ppm. And this is a big challenge. And this is, I try to write in my book, different protocols for different type of cancer and, and for different combination with the existing uh, uh, conventional therapy. And I, 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 yes, we need lots of work. We need lots of new study to, to find the best uh, dosage depending on the cancer staging and all the thing. Mm. Uh, so what is important message would be not the lowest, the best. Mm -hmm. And we believe that this gradual decrease, keeping the decrease on a long time, but still reaching the threshold and generating the, the radicals, which finally triggered apoptosis, this is a big game. Yeah. And we have to learn it. And we, we I, I hope one day I can educate the, the oncology society how, how to integrate deuterium mm. depletion to the to the therapy. Yeah, I was wondering how has your work been received by oncologists? I mean, surely by now you've got people who are sort of taking your work to their oncologist and saying, can we incorporate this into our standard standard treatment? Are, are you getting any pushback from oncologists? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, no. It's 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 not the same as it was thirty years ago. So I, I I recognize. So this is a we are changing the paradigm, and for a scientist who changing the paradigm have to be very very cautioned, uh, uh, waiting and waiting, uh, because it is not obvious that that they immediately pick up and accept it. Mm. So uh, there are oncologists who, who knows it, but our aim is to have a registered cancer drug. So I don't believe that uh, the way should be that people can buy it in the supermarket, in depleted water, and they will consume it. We need a drug registered by FDA, EMA, and that should be part of the therapy. And on the other hand, we hope that we need a so-called functional food product, which would be lower than the natural water, mm -hmm. but not in the range, range of the drug. And that people should consume it uh, just to reduce the incidence of cancer, just to re reduce the, uh, the metabolic disease, or to feel better because we tested with athletes uh, drinking 105 ppm uh, will will trigger and have the mitochondria. Mm. So the lactic acid appeared later. If mm. someone consuming the 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 105 ppm, so this is a very long time. So yeah, it's 33 years. I I started my research at the Institute of Oncology. Uh, we are getting close to the critical mass. We publishing lots. I I am invited to to podcast like you thank you and and for conferences 
And and one day we are waiting for investors. We are applying uh, money to the European Union to support the clinical trials. Uh, and, and I hope we are getting closer and closer and one day that will be accepted. Mm. You and know we... the story with the Australian uh, uh, MDs with the Helicobacter pylori. Yes, I do. They, I do. Yeah, they. It took twelve years. They were MDs. They had a clear evidence that the connection between the ulcer and Helicobacter, and even it took twelve years. No, oh, even even uh, smoking. I mean, that took. I think it was seven thousand publications or something for. For it to find yeah. change, so uh, yeah, uh, the progress is is slow, but it is happening, isn't it? Um, I guess is, so. Yeah. Is this is this sort of treatment program that you outline in the book? Is this something that you think people can do themselves um, if their oncologist is not on board with it? Uh, yeah, so that should be some kind of guide to do, mm. and of course there are lots of other aspects I, I try to combinate. So if someone calls, I try to give her very uh, personalized advice, how to do, when to do, what to do. But in general, those protocols uh, can be good. Mm. And even, so if we make the two groups receiving only commercial therapy and someone commercial plus Anyhow, drinking DW, yeah. the result is much better than just receiving only conventional therapy. Yeah, so it's it's something that you could you could implement yourself as well. Um, it's just it's going to help. It's just the degree how how much it's going to help, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, so of course we 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 have to use all the capacity which is in the DW. Yeah. And the question: How much people can use out based on the book, based on the knowledge? or maybe combining and discussing with the oncologist because that would be the best yeah. if they can can discuss it and and figure out the best way to oh, the best way of the treatment mm. are there any sort of um publications um that you would think uh might be if they're open access or even if they're not publications that might be good to take to oncologists and to introduce them to the research that you've been doing for the last 30 years, um, if they hadn't heard of it? Uh, our last, last paper was about the glioblastoma. Yeah, right. Whether you have read it. So we, we, we evaluated 55 uh, patients having glioblastoma multiforme. And uh, and again, how important the, the, the discussion. So we, we checked the median survival time for the whole population. It was 30 months which means we can double the median survival time. Mm -hmm. But when we separated the people receiving the DW at the same time by receiving the radiotherapy, and those who already got the radiotherapy and after a couple of months started, then combining the DW with the radiotherapy, the median survival time was 47 months. Yeah, right. And so it's very important when the DW can can join to the therapy and and which stage and and so it's 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 very important. Mm -hmm. So this is our last paper. Now we we are going to publish a case studies, three different cases. It is at the paper for waiting for publication, and one of the case study 
is a young girl with an astrocytoma one in, in the in the spine. No any therapy for that. No one. And she consumed DW. Uh, she was uh, at age 11 when they started and then they graduated. They, they, she, she finished the university and she lived for, for maybe 18 or 20 years. And unfortunately, she had an embolia. After 10 years, she finished the, uh, the DW, but it was clear that alone, the DW consumption without any chemotherapy, any radiotherapy helped her. And the size of the uh, tumor uh, regressed, and and she lived a, a, a normal life. So that hopefully will be published, will be accepted in that paper, and there will be two other uh, case study. Mm. Yeah, that that's amazing work. There's so many of these different um, case studies that you wrote about. Even in the the first book that you published, I think in 2000, um, there's these case yeah. studies as well. Um, but one thing that has stayed the same uh, between the first between the first and the second book that you've done is that there are some cancers that uh, are a little bit more tricky, uh, melanoma and glioblastoma being being two of the main ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not to say that deuterium depleted water doesn't help. It's just a little bit more of a tricky situation. Is that correct? Yeah, is that yeah? You are right again. So, for example. We doesn't like the we don't we don't like the pancreatic cancer. Yeah, pancreatic cancer extremely extremely aggressive, and we are just working on preparing a new paper. Uh, we are evaluating over ninety pancreatic cancer patients. the The point is that I cannot be satisfied that we we double the median survival time of the pancreatic cancer patients. Mm -hmm. To some extent, it's it's a great result, but uh, when I started, the aim is not to extend the lifetime. The aim is to cure the people. Yeah. And of course, we need lots of research. We need lots of scientists and oncologists to join to that type of uh, work and to figure out how can we cure pancreatic cancer patients. And then we can say, okay, we did what we had to do. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really really huge problem that we're facing at the moment, which I think is why um, your ideas and your your research over the last uh, few decades has has been so important. Um, it, I wish more people knew about your work, which is why I'm trying to get get more people aware of of, of what's going on, um, mostly in Hungary, I think. But it's starting to starting to branch out um into the the states as well i i've noticed um so you know have you noticed the it picking up is it is there a bit bit more of a buzz around deuterium depletion at the moment no, no i i guess we are getting in a much better position so the book is very helpful and and the 30 years is finally 30 years yeah. and 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 hopefully and this is the best just like you lots of people is going to support that and help that process because the interest is to solve that type of challenge. So the, the society is facing with lots of other real big problems and the cancer is, is, is one of them. The prices are increasing, the incidence is increasing and 
and no real solution. So we must solve that that problem. And and thanks to everybody who who helped me and helped that uh, more people should to, should get information about this research program and 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 all the data and the results that we we already have so thank you again for you to do that no no th- uh, thank you I'm, I'm happy to play my part in sort of spreading the word um i guess it would be good to mention that the the product um that you have been working on is called vitera uh, vitera 25 no, vitera is is the cancer drug for veterinary use uh, and no. the Preventa is Preventa. a drinking water for human consumption. Yeah, so um, Preventa 25, um, it is a result of a very, very arduous process, uh, if, if I understand correctly, which is why the water is rather expensive. Um, yeah. Um, and I think you've been working on lowering the price uh, of that and making it more available very, very hard um, over the last few decades. So... Um, hopefully, uh, in time with some grant money and, and some support from, um, hopefully, uh, your your government over there, uh, the the price can come down a little bit. Um, but uh, no, we have a distributor in in Australia here, um, so yeah, it, it sure. is it is available um, if people want to yeah. check it out. I'll make sure I leave links to to all of your your work, your your lab, and. Uh, and uh, links to the books as well uh, so that people can get their hands on them and, and maybe give them to their doctors and whatnot as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed this one. If you're interested in reading Gabor's new book or watching some of his presentations on YouTube or even finding some deuterium-depleted water for yourself or someone you know, I've left all the relevant links in the description of this episode. Feel free to share his work with doctors and oncologists as this work needs to be more widely acknowledged. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can subscribe so you get notified whenever I release a new episode. I'd also like to encourage you to leave a five-star review or give a thumbs up if you like this episode. This is a simple no-cost way to support my work and help me reach more listeners. Please feel free to leave comments on my YouTube channel as I do try to read through as many as I can. I've also put links to all of my social media platforms in the episode notes if you'd like updates about the podcast, information about health, or if you just want to reach out to me in general. Thanks for listening, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed it. Take care.